here. Here's Jose. Three seconds. Gets it to DeRozan. DeRozan's fading. What a tough shot. And it goes! DeRozan with plenty of time. It's five seconds. DeRozan on the drive. and kick from the corner. Van Vliet. Van Good. A two. The Raptors lead with 1.1 to play. Kane Pittman, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. What about you? Uh, I would be better if the game went a little bit better for Raptors fans. Toronto loses. I think the final score ended up being 12 to the Milwaukee Bucks. It was a game 13, sorry, not 12. Uh, it was a game that looked really bad to start. Toronto looked like they were coming back, which often happens in the NBA games, but ultimately kind of ran out of gas in the very end. What was your biggest takeaway from this game? Uh, well, I mean, it, look, I, I think the big the big takeaway from tonight and the big difference from um, the game that Toronto won in Milwaukee was the shooting. And I know I spoke to you after that game, and, and I think we both sort of agreed that, that the way the, the Raptors shot the ball was probably not you know, something that you can rely on, um, particularly in a playoff series for four straight games. But um, we've seen tonight that they they struggled from, from three, and... I felt watching the game, particularly after one quarter, that that was what allowed Milwaukee to stay in the game because I think Toronto shot one for eight in the first quarter from three, and most of them were wide open looks. So I think uh, the Raptors sort of let the let the Bucks off the hook early, and and you know as often is the case when you're playing a, a good team, they're going to make you pay for that, and I think that's what we saw. Right. I I think the first time they matched up. Toronto was never going to shoot that hot consistently. And I don't think they'll be this bad consistently. They shot 7 of 27 tonight, so 26%. But really, it was the first quarter that dug them into a hole. Like you said, they started one of a... That you know that just built up a deficit that was too much to overcome. And you can kind of evaluate the rest of the game and different things that happened. But ultimately, the difference was that first quarter and the shooting difference of that first quarter particularly. Yeah, I think that's right. And and look, the, look, the Raptors went in uh, after one and they had a three-point lead, but it, it felt like they should have been up by a lot more. And I don't think the Bucks had a great start to that game. They scored some points off turnovers early for Toronto, but they felt like they were just hanging on, particularly late in the quarter. So when they get a chance to sort of regroup and, and say, okay, look, things didn't quite go well there for us, but now we can settle into the game. And they came out at the start of the second quarter, all guns blazing. I know Tony Snell hit a couple of threes in a row, then Giannis at the end won. And all of a sudden, even though it felt like Toronto probably should have been winning, they're down double digits. And, and I, I felt like that was the stretch of the game where the momentum really changed. And that was a big hit for Toronto to take, I think. Yeah, it's funny when Milwaukee starts to get those couple of shots to fall. It's amazing how the lane opens up and then Giannis is able to wreak havoc. He got a couple of times. Toronto, when you're playing Milwaukee, you have to be on it so consistently in transition and making sure you wall off Giannis every single play. And there's a couple of times where Giannis found... Toronto getting a little lazy defensively and took advantage of them there. It was kind of weird. He was extremely effective in the minutes he played. However, he was limited to 28 minutes due to foul trouble. I kind of thought just due to Giannis's lack of minutes and due to Toronto's just general and a 
ability to execute offensively and more importantly hit shots offensively that this game was kind of sloppy on both sides would you agree with that oh i definitely would agree with that uh you know toronto has 16 turnovers the bucks have 18 um i i think that's so there's a couple of things there i think that that first of all the game was a little bit sloppy i don't think everyone was at their absolute best um but at the same time it's it's two pretty good defenses and and i think now the fourth time playing each other they start to figure each other out a little bit but uh you know, you touched on Giannis being in foul trouble, and it was interesting because we spoke about this last time, and, and, and Siakam is, is a really interesting matchup for Giannis. And again, for the second time in a row, he's had a, a, a real, like a monster game. He had 28 points tonight. I think he had 30 last time, which was, is it, was that still a career high 30? Has he had more than that since last? No, that, that's still his career high, and 28 would be his second highest. Right, so there you go. And I, I mean, you talk about a guy that, I mean, he's not that young, but you talk about a guy that, that like an emerging star in the league to have his two best scoring games playing predominantly on Giannis, who is an elite defender in his own right. He has to take a lot of credit for that. And he took a, he needs to take a lot of credit for getting Giannis in foul trouble as well. So, it was, yeah, I wouldn't say the game was executed as well as either team would like. Um, I, I don't think there's going to be too many games where <laughs> these teams will have at least 16 turnovers each. Um, I'm not sure what the numbers are, but I feel like that has to be a bit bit of an, an oddity. Right, yeah. It's funny that Pascal has had so much success against Giannis. I would think, you know, in many ways, I kind of view Pascal as a poor man's Giannis. He's a great finisher around the hoop. He shoots enough to keep you at least somewhat mod- modestly guarding him from three-point range. He initiates for others, but obviously Giannis takes that to a whole another level. So it is surprising to me that he's had so much success against Giannis. I wonder if that's anything particularly that he has as an advantage or if that's just more a, you know, kind of a fluke in the past two games that he's had success. Um, I, I'm not willing to say that it's a fluke just because of the season that he's put together and uh, I'm not sure. I, I think there was there's probably some sort of argument from from some Raptors fans that might say that Siakam could have been an outside chance to to take that uh, All Star spot that Larry got. I, I'm not sure if that's if that's a, a, a popular take, but um, he I think he gives Giannis trouble because he's so unique and and in a lot of ways to be that tall and that long and be able to put the ball on the floor and, and get into the paint. And sort of challenge Giannis that a lot of guys aren't able to do that to Giannis. So I, I think it's it's certainly an adjustment for Giannis to come up against a guy like that. Um, and I mean he's been, I, I mean I, I, he's been super impressive. Like I, I, can't, I can't be any more impressed with what he's done the last two games. So he, he's he's the real deal. Oh for sure, yeah. I I think something along the lines of fifteen to twenty is probably what you can expect from him on a good night, given the circumstances. It just, going at an elite defender like Giannis like that, it has surprised me the success he's had so far in the matchup between the two. Um, One thing I kind of noticed that, besides Pascal Siakam, the Milwaukee Bucks did a great job of shutting down the paint. In many ways, Brooke Lopez had a huge impact on this game, and you know a bigger impact than I ever remember him having down low. I know he's among the blocks leaders in the NBA 
has this kind of defensive performance from Brooke been something that's consistent with Milwaukee this year? Because, you know, I really just came away after this game impressed with his performance defensively more than I was offensively in this game. Oh, yeah, he's been he's been huge. And uh, it's it's probably not something that I expected when the Bucks. So so when the Bucks signed Brooke Lopez for $3 million, I'm like, okay, this is, this is probably going to be one of the bargains of the summer. But... What he's been able to do defensively and really anchor this defense, which is still—I'm not sure if it's adjusted up or not—but number one defense in the league, and he's been a blocker. Like you said, he's averaging over two uh, over two blocks a game, and he's really patrolling the paint. And Mike Budenholzer has put him in the position where he's not asked to really come out of the paint too often. He drops back into pick and roll coverage, and he just uses his big frame to protect the paint, and that's that's what the Bucks are doing defensively. They're happy to let teams shoot the mid-range jump shot. They probably give away a, a few too many wide-open threes than they'd like, but the one way that you, you're not going to beat the Bucks by scoring in the paint, and they're adamant about that, and Brook Lopez has been a, a major factor in that. We've seen again tonight. He had a couple of big blocks, and, and he, defensively, he was, he was a big part of the win. You know what's a tough matchup is when a team is willing to give up three-pointers and at the cost of protecting the rim and you shoot less than 26% from three, it's probably going to be a difficult night. So, uh, yeah, I thought Brooke was really impressive down low. Uh, Chris Weber mentioned David Robinson and Ben Wallace, which feels like a bit hyperbolic to me. <laughs> However, he... I- we we're so just quickly where I was we we had the sound on and I I could I could sort of hear it I could hear bits and pieces and I I will say I heard a few interesting comments from Chris Weber I did not hear that one uh, I'm not willing to go that far let me be on the record yeah I I mean don't get me wrong he has been great and I, this Bucks team defensively has given Toronto struggles and I know they've played four times but I'm just kind of looking at the three with the two superstars playing. They've they've played pretty well against Toronto consistently, and Toronto has struggled to shoot the three. You mentioned that's kind of been the, you know, as much as there is an Achilles heel of the number one defense, that's kind of been the one thing that the Bucks struggle. If Toronto can't improve their three-point shooting, which has been a problem all year for them, you know, is it possible to sustain a good offense against the Bucks if you can't shoot it? Well, the big question is, and, and this is where I, I think largely the Bucks are playing uh, the statistical game, and they're saying, what's the percentages that a team is going to shoot the lights out, which really is what we've seen is what you need to do to beat the Bucks. If you don't shoot at least 40%, you, you're going to struggle to outscore this team because they have so many options offensively. So I think what the Bucks are doing, and, and they play, and it's a dangerous game to play, but I think in terms of the long-term effects, if they're like, when they think about it, is a team going to shoot the lights out from three, four times out of seven and beat you in a series? I'm not sure. And and even last time we seen Toronto shoot, I think the starters scored, what, I think, 118 out of the 123. They shot 65% from the field. And I think it was still a single-digit ball game. It was pretty close to a five- or six-point game. So I, I think the Bucks are playing the numbers game, and, and they trust that their defense will not give up easy baskets. And, and if a team like Toronto we've seen and, and other teams when they've beaten the Bucks, if they can knock down open shots, then that changes things. But 
can you rely if that's if that's the only way that you think you can beat the Bucks, then it's 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 going to be a tough task. So I think a lot of things didn't go quite right for Toronto tonight, and I think a big factor of Danny Green was obviously a guy that that can hit those shots, and he was obviously suffering from an illness, and he played 12 minutes. So I, I think through all four games, we've seen different reasons why each team might say, well, this was a factor in in the in the result, but. I think you're right. Uh, if if it takes the Raptors to have uh, to shoot the lights out to win the game, then it's going to be difficult. But uh, it's been a really interesting series for mine. Yeah, I, I mean, Toronto struggled to shoot the ball all season. Raptors fans have been really concerned with the team's three point shooting at one point, and I haven't checked in in a while. But they're around 21st, 22nd in the league, which is obviously a problem considering they also shoot a lot of three-pointers. Uh, a lot of guys are shooting kind of career lows, which is puzzling to me, and I don't quite understand. Um, but, yeah, I, if you look at the wins and the losses between the teams so far this season, when Toronto has won, they shot you know 45% from three, which seems unsustainable. And when they've lost, they've shot 31%. And... You know, we can break down the pick and roll and all these different things as much as we want, but it sounds simplistic, and it sounds simplistic, but when you shoot poorly, it's going to be hard to beat a team that's as good defensively as Milwaukee and as conservative in their scheme as Milwaukee. Yeah, I, I think that's right, and, and I think the big thing when you watch the Bucs and you watch the Raptors and, and the Bucs versus any team, generally the shots that you get are the shots that they – are okay with you taking, and it's whether or not you can make those shots that is going to is going to then force them to change and make them accountable. So it's interesting. I still think Toronto is. A, I still think Toronto like from one to five and the ability to go small, smaller or more athletic, and guys that can stretch the floor with the Barker and Siakam is still a difficult matchup for Milwaukee and Serge himself. I know last time we played. Well, the last two times we've played, he goes crazy shooting the ball from the outside. Tonight he's 0 for 5. So I think, like last time where I said that Toronto probably are not that, what they, the way they shot the ball was not sustainable. I think tonight you can expect that next time they play, they're going to shoot the ball better. And in the end, we've seen in the last quarter, this, this game was in the balance there. And it, and, and it was the Bucks tonight that were able to make a couple of big shots, much like Toronto last time. And in the end, that's probably what separates these two teams. On any given night, whoever is able to make those big shots in the fourth quarter is probably going to win the game. And tonight it was Milwaukee. Last time it was Toronto. But I think the overall, they are pretty evenly matched. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that it's likely these two teams, I think, at the top of the East at this moment. Obviously, Boston is the wild card in all of it, and there's they kind of waver back and forth between figuring it out and still being a mess, depending on the week that you check in. Uh, one player who kind of struggled tonight and has been up and down in the series in general is Kawhi Leonard. Do you believe that Milwaukee did anything different this time around, or is it just simply a result of he hit some really difficult shots last time they played and this time he didn't hit those shots? Yeah, I think that I think that's a big part of it. I, I know Chris Middleton. The, the first time they played in in Toronto, uh, Middleton did an excellent job. And Middleton's a really tough defender. He's long. Um, he matches up well, sort of uh, size for size with Leonard. And and I think uh, what we've seen in the last game was Leonard being an MVP caliber player and a superstar, 
and just making shots. And tonight, um, that didn't happen for him. He was seven for twenty, um, zero for two from three. Sort of an uncharacteristic night for Leonard. He's a guy that that missed some open shots that normally when you watch him, as soon as he gets the ball, you're like, okay, this is a bucket. So some credit has to go to Milton again tonight and and some other guys. I know Brogdon found himself on Leonard a couple of times there. Um, But, you know, when we remember last time in Milwaukee, Milton got in foul trouble and Leonard was a big factor in that and he was able to draw fouls out of Milton and get him off the floor. And I think that opens some things up for Leonard. So I'm not too, you know, I, I don't look at the game tonight and feel like the Bucks have some answer for Kawhi Leonard because I, I don't think, you know, he's so good offensively that I don't think that's realistic to think that. But, um, yeah, he, he had a bit of a rough night tonight and, and, and you know, only 16 points on, on 20 shots. Uh, I would say for an opposition team, that's probably, if you get that out of Kawhi Leonard, then you're probably a pretty good chance of winning. Right. He, Milwaukee did a great job, in my opinion, of they put Middleton on Kawhi, and the one thing that Kawhi probably has over Middleton in most cases is he's a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger kind of in the post. So what Milwaukee did is they did a great job of not sending the double team until Leonard kind of got too deep into the, too deep into the paint. So he couldn't kind of pick the defense apart from an outside perspective instead he had to kick out from being underneath the hoop Kawhi for all his skills isn't an unbelievable passer he's a good passer but I don't really come away with too many wow passes or anything like that I thought Milwaukee did a great job of balancing sending help and not over helping allowing the Raptors to kind of start to swing the ball around the perimeter yeah, I think that's right. And I think early in the game, and I think that was an adjustment from Milwaukee because I felt early in the game, and it wasn't just with Kawhi, but also Siakam there a couple of times, the Bucks were very quick to send bodies, and then it was a simple ball swing for an open three. So uh, I think you're right. And, and and that late help is, is a fine art in itself because that's been an issue for Giannis on Sunday when the, when the Bucks played Oklahoma City. He didn't have a basket in the first half, and that was the reason why, because Oklahoma, they obviously have some talented defenders. And Stephen Adams, much, uh, Stephen Adams is a better defender than Lopez, first of all. But much like Lopez, he's a big body. And if he can come in late, uh, once the move has already been initiated, like you pointed out, then you force the player to either throw up a tough shot or probably make a pass that isn't quite there. And I, I, I think that... As you said, the Bucks were quite disciplined in the way they defended, particularly after the first quarter. And I think that went a long way to uh, forcing Kawhi into some tough shots or into some tough decisions more than anything. Just kind of switching over to the other side of the ball. One guy who was a little bit cold for Milwaukee, thank God, was Malcolm Brogdon. He's tore the Raptors up in their previous meetings. Is, you know, I guess... He shot 3 of 10 from the floor today. He's killed Toronto in the past. Can you just kind of speak on his season and what you can expect from him, uh, what Raptors fans can expect to see from him if they are ever in a seven-game series? Yeah, really, really odd night for Malcolm to shoot 3 for 10. Uh, He's been one of the more efficient scorers in the whole NBA all season. I I think he's still in the the running for the 50-40-90 club, so that's the type of level he's he's been at. and he really, he's, 
he's benefiting a lot from being that fourth or fifth option in the Milwaukee offense. And that's not to take away from what he's doing. But for opposition defenses, if Giannis is your number one focus, then perhaps Middleton is your number two focus, and you still have Bledsoe and Brook Lopez. And then Malcolm Brogdon's there, and the guy that's as talented as he is at driving to the rack, getting into the paint, and just a really strong finisher. Um, as well as being a, a really, really nice spot-up shooter, he presents a lot of problems for, for the defense. And a product of him being so efficient is a lot of is first of all a lot of his threes being wide open, and secondly being able to uh, get into the defense when a lot of the attention is is on the other guys. So he, he's a really smart player. Um, Obviously, he was in college for five years, so he's a little bit older. So he's not that young, but he, he's, he plays like a veteran, and he has from the first season. So we've seen tonight, again, as you mentioned, he was struggling a little bit, but he came up with a really big layup there in the fourth quarter when Giannis was out of the game, which just really steadied the Bucks down, came up with a big three late in the game. And that's one thing that, that he's done since his rookie season is he wants to take the big shot, and more often than not, he makes the big shot. So... Just a you know for the box another guy that's going to get paid paid this summer but um, yeah the, the the starting lineup for Milwaukee throws up so many <laughs> so many different challenges for the opposition that that he's sometimes an afterthought and that's that's pretty dangerous. He's someone in in that fifth role that's very good and very efficient in that spot. I'm not sure he's someone that I would want initiating an offense, but as long as he's kind of playing off other players he's such a good shooter and like you said he's so efficient in everything that he does to me he's kind of very good at the role that he plays although I'm not sure if I want to see him in a much larger role than what he plays right now no and that's the big question and and it's it's funny that you said that because I often wonder um what people think about Brogdon outside of Milwaukee and and look he's putting up uh, you know, around 16 points a game, and then he'll he'll pick up his four or five rebounds and have his three or four assists. I mean, his numbers are really incredible for for you know his role in the team. Um, but you know, for this team in Milwaukee right now, it's the perfect fit for him. Um, the question is going to be when when the Bucks and this is obviously looking further ahead. The question is going to be exactly what you just said. Is another team going to pay Malcolm Brogdon and look at his numbers and see how talented he is and how he can score the ball in a variety of ways? Are they going to pay him like a second option? And if they do, then that's when things are going to be interesting for Milwaukee in terms of retaining that that uh, talent. But um, for now, he, he's just—I mean—he's in the perfect spot for him, and he's a leader. He's, a, he's an extremely smart player. He knows where his strengths are, and. And the important thing is that he really never tries to do too much, and and that's 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 a big uh, skill to have in the NBA, and it's not always the case. Right, not not in terms of playing styles, but just in terms of role and everything like that. It's kind of similar from a Raptors perspective to Danny Green, yeah. and someone who just, you know, I think a lot of times we get over we get over enamored with players who are bad second options on a team, but there's real value in sliding into the fifth role and I don't think everyone can be an effective fifth player on a starting unit um another guy who's impacting for you guys and we talked about him last time these two teams played pretty much at length however his play has gotten even better at least it was better tonight and that's DJ Wilson DJ Wilson 
was incredible. He's continued to shoot the ball well from three. I keep thinking that it's going to fall off at least a little bit. I I don't know if 44% is sustainable, but, but every time you know I check the stats, he's still up there. He's been incredible. At this point, DJ Wilson has to be a major part of the rotation going forward until otherwise noted, right? Well, he is, and, and he's really locked in right now. Um, and and tonight we see the scoring, and, and this is something that we're starting to see develop with DJ, that he's scoring the ball. Um, but he certainly cemented his spot in the rotation on the defensive end. Uh, tonight, I, I think he had a uh, – it's got him here down as one block. I, I thought he had a couple, but um, a couple of steals as well. He's a really disciplined defender. He's athletic. Um his positioning is always good, and he's he's got the ability to sort of defend a couple of different guys in the, in the same position and the same possession. So that's definitely where Mike Budenholzer. If you want to play in this team, you're going to play defense. He's been able to do that. But tonight, again, we see him him knock down some open threes, like you said. I'm not totally sure that he's a 44% three-point shooter either. It was definitely something that they touted that he had coming out of college was a, was a three-point shot. Um, but, but I mean, he's been lights out since he's been in the rotation. And, again, tonight, uh, you know, the big three, when when the Raptors were really coming, I I know we, we were sort of messaging a, a couple of times during the game, and, and the Raptors really, I, I mean, when Giannis goes out and they get it back to six points, I'm thinking that it's going to be pretty tough for Milwaukee to hang on. DJ Wilson was the guy that hits the open three, so... For a guy that didn't play at all in his rookie season and and had some injury concerns early in the season, it's 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 been a it's been a real shocker to see how important he's become in such a short time. I think his shooting motion throws me off a little bit. Yes, yeah. it part of that is why I don't expect it to go in, but he continues to make it. And he was a good shooter in college, like you mentioned. It's something he's always had kind of soft touch. He had a nice putback jam today as well. Um. You know, kind of, has the rotation at all changed since we last talked when we kind of discussed it? Sterling Brown was out of the rotation. He got 10 minutes tonight. Uh, Ursan Ilyasova only got six minutes, which seems weird to me. Perhaps it's just a matchup thing with Toronto. Has there been anything who, which has kind of changed with the roster drastically in terms of rotation? Not really. So I think... Thinking back, Sterling Brown had just broken into the rotation, or or he was he was certainly in there. I think last time we played, or you know, he he was out of the rotation early in the season anyway. But he's definitely been um, a major player for the Bucks in the last month or so, probably six weeks, um, and he's really taken over Pat Connaughton in that role, who again got the DMP tonight. But Sterling Brown did not play against Detroit two nights ago, and Pat Connaughton had 16 points, so. Um, the Bucks are, you know, they're mixing the matches, matching some guys there. Ersan Ilyasova came back from the broken nose, and I'm not sure if he played last time, but he's still got the mask on. Come back from the broken nose, and he's really, really, really struggled. Like he has been um, not playing well, uh, looking a little slow on defense, uh, including tonight. Now he's two for 18 shooting the ball over his last seven games, so he's in a really rough patch, and his minutes are starting to drop off. And the Bucks are going to a guy like DJ Wilson, who can play more of the four, and even if they want to go small, he can play at the five. So Ersan's spot in the rotation is starting to shrink. Von Maker, <laughs> his trade demand, right? I mean, it's just really unfortunate because 
again, you look tonight, and you would probably want to play him ahead of Ersan Ilyasova. I mean, you, Raptors fans know that Toronto, uh, Toronto Thorn is a real thing. And But you can't... I mean, I'm not surprised that he didn't play because you can't request a trade and then expect to get into the team. So Thon's finding himself on the outside looking in at the moment. But other than that, it's it's been pretty steady. So really, Connaughton's the guy that's on the outside looking in. Thon uh, as well, and Sterling and DJ have sort of taken their minutes. Well, if you're Thon and you request a trade, you know, I don't have a problem with you playing a player who's requested a trade if it's someone like Jimmy Butler who's uh-huh. really making an impact on the game. Thon Maker, it's, if it's a between Thon Maker and Ersan Ilyasova, it's going to be close in any regard anyway, so you might as well play the guy who hasn't actively requested a trade. So I understand that from Bud's perspective. He's going to play the guys that kind of want to be there. And I mean, I, did, I don't have any moral objections to what Thon did, but I just, if you're Bud, I understand why you would play the guy who hasn't requested the trade. No, that's absolutely right. And and I think that the, the issue is with Milwaukee and... Uh... I mean, for me, I mean, I'm Australian. I, for me, and my work, like, I would love time to be playing, but the timing of that of that trade request is just really bad. And whether or not they had to go public with that, I don't understand it. I don't know where that's come from. If he's getting some bad advice, I'm not sure, but it just didn't make sense. And when you watch the the last couple of games since they came out, there's been definitive times when you're watching the Bucks and you think to yourself. We should be playing Thon Maker right now. But if you're Bud, can you put Thon Maker in the game when you've had other guys out of, in the rotation and out of the rotation all year and they haven't said a word and they haven't complained? Can you put Thon in the game after he's publicly said that he wants, that, or his rep- representation has leaked that he wants to trade? And does that send a bad precedent to the rest of the roster? I'm not sure, but it's just complicated. And uh, I'm not surprised that he hasn't been in the game. And, and I think that that's, that's really rough for him because. I think tonight he probably plays if that didn't happen. Well, and if you're Coach Bud, you're ultimately building this team towards the playoffs anyways. This is basically one long preseason preamble till the real season in May and June. So why am I going to try to prepare my team with a player who won't be playing come May? I, I mean, I understand it from his perspective. Yeah, the... The new trade request from the player who's out of the rotation has become my favorite trend in the NBA as of late. Thon Maker, Marquise Chris, like players like that. I like I just would like to imagine the conversation between Marquise Chris and Daryl Morey, like as if Daryl Morey isn't trying to move him at every step. Yeah, I, I and you know it's so it's so crazy to me because being in the in the box locker room and being around the team and. The Bucks really, really, really like Thunmaker. Like that is so clear. They think he has real talent. They want him to play, and he's been in the rotation. Like he's only been out of the rotation for two weeks. Before that, he was playing 15 minutes a game, and it was only because Ilya Sova came back. But if he had waited this out for another week or so, I think he's probably back in the rotation. So it's such a weird thing with the team being having the best record in the NBA right now. Obviously playing really well, having the best season the franchise has had since the 70s. And Thon Maker, 
makes this request to get out because he wants to play. Uh, it's, it's just the timing of it was really bad, and it was unfortunate because, like I said, I, I, the, the franchise has a lot of faith in him. The team loves him. He's, he's, like, he's an absolute favourite in the locker room. So uh, my, my sense is that uh, I have the feeling that he'll probably, unless the Bucks get a really good deal, I feel that they're not giving away Thon for nothing because they have belief in him. So I would not be surprised to see him still in Milwaukee past the deadline. And then I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the rotation after that. But for now, it's just muddied the waters a little bit. Yeah, it's funny. These guys, and I don't want to sound old school when I say this, but a lot of these players think that they'll be getting more time or opportunity in another situation one another example of that is Patrick McCall with Toronto. He he left Golden State for a bigger opportunity. He was playing 18 minutes per game last year on the champ on the biggest champion favorites we've had in some time. He comes to Toronto. He's now playing four minutes per game. I I don't sometimes I don't really see it from their perspective that they think they're going to get this bigger opportunity elsewhere when really a lot of times like for Thon and for Patrick McCall, the best situation is where they're currently at. So that's interesting. You don't think that he'll actually be dealt this deadline or you think it's probably more likely than not that he'll be with the team come, you know, February 9th. Well, I, I think he will. And and this is obviously, I mean, this, this could change any second. We could get a, we could get a watch bomb any second and he'll be gone. But uh, the reason why I say that is because th- they've already picked up his fourth year options. So, the Bucks have control over Thunmaker next season. Um, and the biggest thing is that, for me, like, there's no way, there's no possible way that Thunmaker's value can drop between now and the end of the playoffs, right? So the only thing that can possibly happen for Thun is that he gets back into rotation. Maybe he has another playoff outburst, as he has in his first two seasons. And then his value skyrockets again. And if Thon really doesn't want to be in Milwaukee, then you can look at that in the summer and trade him for something that's maybe valuable to the team. But right now, I can't see the Bucks just handing Thonmaker out to another team for a second-round pick or something like that because that doesn't make the Bucks better right now. I think they believe that Thon can still be an impact player on this team this year. And unless they get something else that helps them do that this year, then I just don't see that there's any incentive for them to trade him. So we'll see if someone comes to the comes to the table that really likes Thon and wants to give something. But if not, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him stay in Milwaukee because knowing Thon, he's not going to be a problem in the locker room. He's not he's not causing problems in the locker room. He just wants to play. And so I don't think there's any worry or concern from the Bucks about that being an issue. If they get something really good, they'll probably trade him. But if not, I think he'll probably still be there. That's totally fair, and you're right. I, his value is at an all-time low, right. in my opinion, at, at least the lowest it's been for a while, perhaps in the middle of last season. It reached a peak about this. But what's the downside of waiting throughout the rest of the season and seeing if he can kind of recoup some of that value? It's not yeah. like the offers are going to get considerably worse than they are at the trade deadline right now. So if you're Milwaukee, one, I would guess that the team's bidding on Thonmaker would increase during the summer, and two, there's a chance that he plays better and kind of recoups some of that lost value from the season. Yeah, 100%. I, I think that that's the way I'm viewing it. And uh, so, I mean, time will tell. We've got less than a week now, but and and 
I'm not 100% certain that he stays in Milwaukee, but I think it's I think it's certainly a live option. I, I don't see this trade request as... I didn't see that when that trade request came through that Thon was definitely leaving Milwaukee because it would have to really make sense for Milwaukee to do that. Does Milwaukee make any other kind of trade this deadline? They've already kind of made their move with George Hill, and a lot of that had to do with cap reshuffling and everything like that. But is there any other, you know moves to be made for Milwaukee at this deadline? I don't think so, because I just don't think they want to mess with what they've got going on right now. And, and you know, maybe they make a, some some really minor trade. I'm not sure. Like, maybe um, someone right at the end of the rotation, you know, Jason Smith or, um, you know, Christian Wood they've got down in the G League who's been just absolutely tearing the G League to pieces. Maybe someone is interested in him. And the only reason I would see a trade is is for the Bucks to perhaps free up a roster spot to to get into the buyout market. And, and we don't know what guys are going to be there, but, um, you know, we've seen the trade today with Pazingas and then uh, Wes Matthews and, and uh, DeAndre Jordan are probably going to be a buyout candidate. I mean, I don't see Jordan having any role or fit in Milwaukee at all, but Wes Matthews is, is a guy that potentially could interest the Bucks. He can shoot the three, defends well. So I, I don't know. I, I could see the Bucks trying to free up a roster spot to get another veteran that's that's got some playoff experience. But other than that, I, I don't think they're doing anything major. The buyout market's going to be tough, in my opinion, for teams like Milwaukee and Toronto, just because they're kind of they're both pretty deep teams. And if I'm a buyout candidate, I I'm probably targeting someone like Philadelphia who desperately needs the help at the end of the bench before Toronto or Milwaukee. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, I probably didn't think about that that much, um, but I, I think that's accurate. I, I, we seen Philadelphia last year with pick up Ilya Sober and, and Bellinelli, and, and those those two guys walked walked in straight off, um, you know, bad teams and ended up being major major contributors in the, in, in the, in the playoffs. So, um, I, I think that that could make some sense, particularly with a team like the Sixers who, who do need shooting and need some other options there and look like they're a piece or two short. I don't look at Toronto or Milwaukee or Boston and think that they're missing anything really drastically. I, I don't see any major holes in either of those three rosters. Boston has their problems, but I think top to bottom, they, they're a deep team. Milwaukee and Toronto are the same. Philadelphia... Has, has some has some big issues I think outside of having three three star players. Sure, yeah, there's perhaps some room in Milwaukee for a backup center who can consistently give depth behind Brooke Lopez and for Toronto, you know they could really use an additional shooter. But when you're talking kind of the gaping holes that Philadelphia has for even you know a six man who can shoot and defend a little bit, they're they're pretty one-dimensional. They they rely more on the star power of those three guys to keep them at the top. Um, just moving back to this matchup more, Milwaukee now has a one-and-a-half game lead on Toronto. Technically, that's three games in the loss column, which makes it feel kind of more like two, two-and-a-half game lead. They also have the advantage in head-to-head matchups. Is this... This is pretty much wrapped up for the number one seed, don't you think, unless something happens injury-wise or some kind of losing streak for Milwaukee? Well, I, I mean, there's there's still a lot of basketball to be played out. And 
and you know, so the Bucks have now played fifty games. I guess, the I guess put, what would you say the percentage is that Milwaukee gets a one seed now? Well, I think it's a big swing tonight for sure, and I think they're definitely in the box. If I had to put a percentage, I mean, if based on what we've seen, then you would say, yeah, Milwaukee's certainly in the box seat. And if it was a percentage wise, maybe it's seventy thirty in favor of the Bucks now, particularly with the with the game and a half lead and having that extra game essentially with, with the tiebreaker. So, yeah, it was a big result tonight, but. Um, it's funny the way it works out that when you look back at the series and the Bucks essentially win the tiebreaker based on uh, and look they've won Toronto twice so it's obviously a big factor but when you look back at the first game with no Kawhi and no Giannis they played their stars in the end that game is probably probably is, is the difference if Kawhi and they both play that game does it, does it swing again and it's too old not, not 100% sure but um, the big thing is, we both know both teams have a pretty easy run home. So, if they win the games that they should win, then then yeah, I, I think tonight was was a major step for the Bucks towards that that number one seed. It is funny that with the two teams and you know the pow- the loading up of Kawhi Leonard, Giannis being the best players in the conference, and a matchup between the two that didn't involve either player is one of the deciding factors in who gets home court and possibly who goes to the NBA Finals. So it is funny that these games of rest, which I'm all for, and I think you do have to rest Kawhi Leonard. However, they do have some kind of trickling impact into the overall big scheme of things. Yeah, and we thought about this at the at the time. Um, you know, Giannis, is, Giannis misses with the concussion, and, and I was at I was at Bucks practice at the time, and we 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 arrived, and or Bucks shoot around, I should say, and and Giannis wasn't on the floor, and we 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 thought to ourselves, okay, maybe he's out. Uh, they announced that the Buck that that Giannis was out, and it was literally within 30 seconds that the tweet came out that Kawhi wasn't playing, and we said at the time, we a couple of the Bucks reporters that were there, we we questioned whether Kawhi would have played or not played if Giannis was playing. And then also whether or not, because the Raptors had a couple other guys out, Van Fleet was out, uh, they had they had some another key rotation player that was out from that game as well. So, And, and we questioned whether that, which team was in the box seat of that game when we felt it was the box, and whether or not, even though it's way back in November, is that a game or is that a decision that you come back to regret? And... And I, I'm not sure whether the Raptors are thinking about it too much now, but when you look at how even these teams are being in the standings, that uh, that season series is 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 it feels like a big deal right now. Yeah, it was weird that to me, I think, and I don't know, perhaps Kawhi was never going to play the entire time, and they just waited to release it. However, to me, it's a little bit of a miscalculation if Giannis not playing was the reason that you didn't play Kawhi. If anything, with Giannis out, I would guess that you would want to play Kawhi more in order to just kind of secure that win and definitely get a win against someone that you know is going to be a conference foe at the end of the year. Although, perhaps maybe at the beginning of the year it was early enough Toronto wasn't aware how good Milwaukee was going to be. Well, sure, and and it's as much as we keep talking about how much the the, the tiebreaker might weigh, might mean when we look at it. When the Stars have played, the Raptors won in Milwaukee, 
and the Bucks won in Toronto twice. So, so what? When you talk about two teams that are pretty good on the road, excellent at home, pretty evenly matched. Do does either team have much fear playing on the road? Probably not. I feel like they probably don't. But I, I think home court is certainly a mental thing that, that these teams would like. And when you, if you get to a Game 7 situation, then you'd obviously rather play at home than on the road. But they've proven that they can win on the road. And I think that will also count for something when, when they meet again, which we expect they probably will. Yeah, and I don't know what's more, advantage, more advantageous as far as seeding being either the one seed or the two seed when you talk about matching up with Philadelphia versus Boston. They, you know... That still has a lot. We still aren't sure of the seeding between those two teams either. And, you know, if even one of them wants to jump up to the number two seed to take it from Toronto. That's still possible at this point in the season as well. Um, Just kind of wrapping up here, is there anything that you've seen in this series that you didn't expect to see that you think might, you know, play a factor once a playoff start? Um... Look, the, again, we, we sort of already touched on it, but uh, I think the wild card for, for Toronto is Siakam and whether this level of play is sustainable, including his three-point shooting, which I know he was two for three. I think last game he was five for six, so if that's the case, you know, I mean, he, he's shooting about 80% for three against the Bucks. Look, let me tell you, as someone who watches him consistently, that shooting is not sustainable. I'm I, I telling you, I tell you, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Like I, I try to watch as much Toronto as I can, just because I find them really seriously entertaining to watch. But I feel like every time I watch that guy, I, I, I feel like he never misses. So I, we spoke about it last time, and you said that his three-point shooting is uh, uh, at times, you know, uh, a little bit off. And I look at the numbers, and I, I have to believe you. I mean, you're watching this team. When I see him, I'm telling you, this guy is an absolute sniper. So I, I don't know what it is, but. So he's he's the wild card for Toronto, but the, but the other thing I think is is the general three point shooting for for both teams. Uh, I think when you're looking at a way to separate these teams and and both really good defenses, both have MVP level type um, players and extremely strong support cast. Whichever team is able to make the big shots and hit the threes, it feels like they're going to win the game, and, and we've seen that swing. Uh, all series, and I know you said earlier in the in the pod that that seems really simplistic. But when you're looking at two really even teams and just two seriously good teams, it can be as simple as that. Yeah, that's a great point. I I think that pretty much sums it up. Thank you so much for coming on, Kane. Now, recurring guest. Hopefully, we'll get to talk again when the two match up in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I'm thinking it's going to be late May. I'm thinking conference finals. So I'll be I'll be more than happy to uh, uh, catch up there. All right. Thanks, man.